Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking about mental health and the stigma around mental health shame. Joining me today will be psychotherapist and clinical sexologist Dominic Davies, founder of Pink Therapy. Mental health is a topic which should never become irrelevant to our community. And today we'll talk about just that. If you choose to listen all the way through, I hope there's something you can take away from the episode. Thank you for joining us on the podcast and listening in today. Um, You've heard me say time and time again that I'm not afraid to talk about the difficult topics. And today's episode of the podcast is going to be one of those days. Um, I'll probably end up burying my soul a little bit more than I initially thought I would. I started writing notes and then the things just started flowing and I couldn't stop writing. So I'm just going to go for it. You know, and on the other side of it, I wouldn't be doing this episode justice if I wasn't honest about some of my own mental health issues. You know, this is a topic that I know uh, has touched all of us uh, in one way, shape or form, Um, especially when we're thinking about, uh, you know, the... Uh, let's say at a basic level, all the exposure it gets uh, in mainstream media, social media, um, none of us are immune to the topic. Um, and especially we talk so much in our own little community about the stigma that comes from talking openly about things like mental health shame. When we look at people's social media profiles, you know, we all go around and we like to click the little button and applaud those people who are strong enough, I say in quotes, strong enough to publicly bear their souls, you know, but somehow there are so many other who are literally falling through the cracks and not getting the same kind of public support or acknowledgement. You know, at the same time, we're not quite sure how much encouragement it's actually giving to the person, you know, that we actually click the button. What does that mean for them? We don't often know, but I think personally, maybe we think it's a kind gesture or it's maybe the only way we can show some kind of support to that person. Whether we're talking about mental health issues in regards to our personal lives, our online and social media uh, lives or how it affects us, even within fetish and kink circles. You know, this is a topic that should always be high up on the agenda. And I don't think if you're amongst friends or, you know, any other kind of social setting, we should ever be afraid to tackle this topic head on. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this topic specifically at this particular point in time is because, you know, it's April and I've been thinking for some a few weeks already about whether or not I would do it. But it's April and I've already had three friends who've committed suicide since the start of the year. And shocking doesn't even begin to describe how this has left me feeling, you know, and I also think about what it means you know, to the other friends and partners and family of those three people. You know, two of those people I know are from within in our king community and one other as a personal friend completely separate however you know we often see people posting their smiling and happy pics and their statuses in their social media platforms and then the next day the partner or the relative you know posts that they've taken their lives you know but what happens next we're all left going, what the fuck, you know? And, you know, I, I mentioned just in the run up to starting the podcast, you know, that we always say, you know, like no one saw it coming. And it always m- makes me wonder, you know, like why we don't see it. And I think this could be for a number of, a number of things. And this also brings me to talk about my own mental health issues. You know, um, I'm one of those people that's always perceived to be, uh, I say in quotes, a strong one. And I suppose to a degree, I kind of am, 
But, you know, in, in writing this up and in the run up to this, I thought, well, how much of that is actually real strength, which we know can sometimes come from release. It takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to actually release and to actually bear your soul. And how much of this is actually the strength we've summoned up so that we appear not to publicly fall apart or so that we don't appear to be publicly weak. You know, it's kind of like a keeping up appearances, but of a different kind. Are we afraid or worried about what people would say? Like, oh my God, did you see him? He had a complete Britney Spears. He had a full meltdown, you know, and but sometimes people need to have a bit of a meltdown. And what we have to try to understand is how we as a community, as friends and family, how or what we can do, even if we don't recognize it right away, but what kind of support we can possibly give. Um, you know, and I think even without overstepping the boundaries of that were possible. And that's also because sometimes you don't know the base of, you know, why someone may be suffering. As a teenager, you know, I was once in a very, very dark place and contemplated suicide for years. And I actually came very, very close to doing it more than once, you know, and I was, uh, it just, it caused me to, I can remember it so well. It caused me to really act up and act out and, it was only years later that I realized that my acting up and my acting out was sort of like a cry for like help, you know, like, Hey, look at me. I'm fucked up over here. Like somebody see me. Um, but no one seemed to recognize. They just thought I was being a teenager and I was being rebellious and I was acting up. And of course, because no one recognized, it caused me to act up even a little bit more. And this, of course, creates a whole other series of other issues, which led me right back to the initial point where I was thinking there is no way out of this apart for me to just take my life and I'll be done with it because no one seems to see me. And if no one sees me, then why the fuck do I want to be, you know, why the fuck do I want to be around? Why do I want to stick around? I cannot at this precise moment figure out what the actual trigger was that made me snap out of this place. But I'm forever thankful that I did, that I was somehow able to crawl out of this dark hole. And it's only having, you know, come through some other experiences in my life where I realize, you know, that sometimes we say it very often. And I think you may not necessarily recognize it unless you've actually gone through it, that some things are solvable and are fixable. But on the other side, I think, I guess people from who are maybe on the dark side, you know, are also need to be reassured that these things will be fixable, but they cannot do it by themselves. They need the help of friends, family, and other loved ones to help them through these dark points. And, you know, I want we need to figure out how we can give this support and actually, you know, not pointing the finger and making people feel like they're shit because, you know, they're having a bad day or that they're having a bad moment. You don't know what the root cause of that is. And I think to shame someone for being open and expressing that they have mental health issues or that they do have problems, I think it's uh, is something we as a community really need to figure out and we need to address and we need to keep this discussion going. So. Mm -hmm. As usual, 
you know how I go. I've done my fair share of rambling. So let's get our guest Dominic in here. Um, Dominic is also, by the way, a fellow Kingster and is very well ensconced in the King of Fetish community. So he's, you know, very much in tuned with what's going on uh, as far as this issue is concerned. And he's also involved in training other therapists. And I'm sure this is a topic that probably comes up countless times. Some of you may recognize the name because I've talked with Dominic before on another topic, which was around um, relationship dynamics. Dynamics. Uh, and this was when we were in the middle of the pandemic and doing our guest days on our online uh, sessions. But today we want to talk about mental health issues, mental health stigma, and how we can begin to not only recognize, um, but maybe begin to get people to feel like they're we have created a comfortable enough space for them to actually talk about what these issues might be. So Dominic, please come and stop me from talking. <laughs> you really did you really did bear your soul there Antoine I, I, wow you had a tough you had a tough time as a teenager and survived that um I, I did it wasn't easy but um somehow I'm here yeah yeah well thank I think we're all grateful that you're here and that you got through that and that res- some people find that resilience to carry on and and come through um and that's that's amazing and um others find it just they they just can't find the strength and i think that's what we're seeing with those who take their lives that they that they can't they often feel very isolated despite maybe being partnered and married and having good friends they feel isolated in themselves or that no one understands. And, and they often feel that they're a burden on others, maybe because they've been depressed for some time or uh, they've tried to talk and ther- tried therapy and it didn't work. And, and it's that perceived burdensome on others that is often the thing that sends them over the edge because they are, they feel isolated, no one understands, and they don't want to be a burden any longer. I, this is the point I can I can absolutely touch on. I had a a fallout with a friend um, once because I had another issue, mm. and I thought, mm. you know, I could talk to that friend. She's a really good friend, but I knew that she was also having her own issues, and I didn't want to burden mm. her with my issues, and so I. But I was able, of course, at this point in time to talk to someone else, which was really great. On the other side of it, she became very angry with me that I didn't talk to her about my issues, even though she was still having her own. So there is something for which I think sometimes maybe the stress can also come because, you know, we divert our own attention to somebody else's which kind of push ours to the side we don't focus on ours anymore because we now have somebody else's issue to focus on and ours gets you know like tapped in the little lockbox for a few weeks because we have another you know look over there we have another bright light we have another distraction we can deal with which is also in the end really not healthy because we're still not addressing the issue well and and it can also give us the reason to carry on that um because we're helping someone else and we're avoiding facing our own issues, they need me right now and they won't cope without me. So I'll, I'll stay around a bit longer. Yeah. Um, and that, 
as a strategy works for works for some people, it, even if it seems a bit mixed up. And we would obviously think, hey, first aid, you know, put your own life mask on before you start attending to others. It can be a way of keeping people helping someone. Someone can feel useful and valuable, and then then they're not a burden to others, um, and they can get some vicarious. Um, benefit from from being helpful and um, and being caring, uh, even if it means avoiding avoiding their own stuff. I mean, I I would imagine this is something that you know you as a therapist deal with on potentially a, a regular basis, and I I I guess I would like to hope that you know having professionals like yourselves or places where people feel like they can go to actually seek some help would be a really good thing and i think that's definitely something i want to talk about like when we get maybe a little bit further on you know but how do people go about finding the type of help that they think that they need you know if it's not coming from mm the sources or the places closest to them. You know, we, we once again talked about, you know, this sense of community and how important it is, you know, and mm -hmm. within the fetish community, it's a topic that comes up again and again and again and again, but somehow we know it exists. And I mean, there are a number of things, especially when you talk about fetish and people's interaction with kink and fetish that can bring up even, you know, mental health issues. I think maybe on a, a less extreme at a level, there's, you know, the pressures to perform, you know, like sexually or the pressures to engage in different types of kink or different types of play that they may not necessarily be immediately interested in but for some reason there's this external pressure this external force that forces people i think very often to do things maybe they don't feel like they they want to do and that kind of stress can lead to performance issues you know and this also can escalate into other developing other mental health problems you know we talked before about things mm -hmm. like um you know as you mentioned in the notes you know the notion of sex or porn addiction can also be a factor that leads to mental health issues do you see a lot of this you know f within the kink community as well okay i well i um, i'm going to pick you up on a few things there if i may yeah and you might want to Delete these after, but that's absolutely no. Fine. You go, you go. Um, I, I don't buy into the idea of sex or porn addiction. I think they're they're um, fake. There's no science to support that, yep. and they're set up to make us feel bad and shameful about what are perfectly normal and often very consensual things. Um, we may well use sex to soothe ourselves because it makes us feel good, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, I'm going to challenge that one. And and I'm also going to challenge the idea around the performance anxiety part of what you were saying around kink, because I think you were talking about consent and being pressured into doing things. And absolutely, yes, consent is central to it being kink. Otherwise, it's not kink. But, uh, but I think one of the interesting things for me in working with people who are interested in, in BDSM, and I'm talking about it's lessons I've learned from from some asexual clients, is that our genitals do not need to be involved in our kink dynamic. That we can have we can have really intense relationships and really intense sessions, and nobody's got an erection or nobody comes, nobody's hard. It's not about putting something in a hole. 
that we might get that much more in a vanilla context as gay men, but actually within a kink context, we can have a really amazing time without needing to uh, have a hard on. But um, yeah, so I kind of, there was that for me. But there was something you were saying before, just leading before that, that I'm not sure if I can get back to, which was around, I think it was around suicide. Um, Suicide is something that my, my very first entree into being a helper was at uh at 20 1920 joining the samaritans which as you probably know is like a helpline yes. for people despairing and 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 they're on the kind of front line of of suicide um and the, the thing that that samaritans t- t- taught me was the most important thing is you listen you know you can't change anything you respect someone's choice to do with their life as they want that they have the autonomy to end it if they want to but they that you will be there for them and talk with them and 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 be interested in them and i think that was a very different position to when i went to in the in the midst of the aids epidemic i went to san francisco and trained as buddy and brought back the buddy training from san francisco to to the northwest when i where i was living in liverpool and there they did a suicide workshop and got us and there they would intervene in your suicidal feelings and they would rescue you and they wouldn't talk to you. You wouldn't just listen to you and support you if you wanted to take your life. There they would like, take you off to the psychiatric hospital and, and incarcerate you and keep you medicated. And I thought, well, what, what a different way in which we in Britain approach this to, to how it is there um, in terms of allowing people to be the, the autonomy and the respect to do with their life as they want. And this was, of course, right in the midst of HIV and AIDS, before antiretrovirals, and people were wanting some autonomy over whether they, how they died. And yeah. um, I think that was, was, was very important. And, and, in, and, and in San Francisco, being denied to them. What I think, what, what does that teach me now about suicidality is that to, not to be afraid to ask the questions about how are you feeling? How bad are you feeling? How long have you been feeling this way? Uh, do you have a have you ever thought about ending your life? If you were to take your life, what how might you do it? And just have a conversation with someone when they're because in in answering those questions, in thinking through those questions, you may well get to realize um they wouldn't do it. They say, Oh, well, I yeah, I think about it often, but I wouldn't do it because X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, oh, I haven't got to live, sleep, have a sleepless night thinking they're about to do it because they've mentioned that they were feeling desperate and life wasn't worth living. It's it, they've they've got a reason not to do it, and and that that's that's helpful, and we can kind of work on supporting that. But I think people often do mention, and the coroners tell us that um, when they are investigating the the causes of deaths they'll often find that people will have mentioned to someone that they were feeling suicidal. It, it might, yeah. it might've been a person, it might be in their journals. It often is to one or two friends who picked it up, but it may not be the partner. And that can be a huge shock for the partner to find that um, their, their husband killed themselves. 
and they they had not they could not do anything about it. They didn't have the chance to make it right or to to try to prevent it. And that leaves us feeling as 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 the bereaved, yeah. often very angry with the person who who took their lives, having been denied that chance or that opportunity to to care for them or to to try to support them and to uh, to make it okay or to help them have a, a pass through this period because it's often a period in time, as you were saying in your teens, you felt it for quite some time, but it passed, and and now you're really grateful that you've passed through that. Yeah, it, it's la- it doesn't last, and I think that's that's important to keep in mind. This is it was shit for now, and there may see no way out for now, but actually, perhaps it will be different tomorrow or or, or next month with help with support. Need something tight and shiny for a special event? Want ideas for your next session? At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro, restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide. Or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation kink delivered. I wonder why is it do we think that there is such a stigma around people being open about their mental health issues? You know, why is there? Mm. I I wonder, you know, I think in the end, we all want to we all want to be good people. We all want to help people. I think genuinely yeah. we are. I think inert, inertly yeah. we are. Yeah. But for some reason, there is this, you know, if we are that, then why do you think there would be this, this stigma, the shame around being open about, you know, being depressed or, or having issues? Well, as men, I think, I, th- I think it's a big, it's quite a gendered thing around this. As men, we're raised to be too big and tough and big boys don't cry and toughen up and and don't show your feelings and all those kind of toxic masculinity messages. And in a way, it would be interesting. I don't know whether there's been much research done about this, but in a way it would be interesting to see whether there's a bit more of that within the leather community because we we act out the archetypes of the hyper-masculine male. So is it possible for the big leather daddy to admit that he's depressed or that he's lonely or that he's crying himself to sleep at night or that, you know, is, is that I've, I've never seen that covered in, in any storylines around, uh, around lived experience. I haven't. You know, and that, I think there's something, I think there is something in that, that perhaps we are maybe at more at risk of buying into toxic masculinity, particularly those on the on the on the more dominant end of the spectrum, if we're thinking of it around around dom and sub, that we are we've got to be big and we've got to be strong, and everyone relies on us, and we can't open our open ourselves up, and that puts an extra burden on because we're denying the opportunity for if we have a if we have a leather family, we're denying the opportunity maybe for our subs and our and our fellow doms to care for us, our, our, our leather brothers to care for us 
if we don't ask for support or or let someone in and and some like to serve so it may well be that we if we were to mention it we would yes. be inundated with people <laughs> making us chicken pot pies and bringing us cookies in bed and whatever it is that might make us feel better but i think that's an area for research i think it's a it's a it's an absolutely fascinating point and one i can completely i mean I would say you've more than hit the nail on the head. Like the light just went ping. Like, of course, mm-hmm. you know, there is this great perception within kink and fetish that the master, the dom, the sir has got to be this mm-hmm. all powerful and this all, you know, this, this all, this all knowing presence within the scene and within the right. community. We look at them across a room in a bar and you see mm. master so and so or sir so and so and they, they, they have a kind of a presence and. I wonder if this can also be, you know, it's it's always interesting chatting with people about, you know, specifically, I'm sorry, bluff guys, I'm going to pick on you a second. Specifically, you know, the bluff mm-hmm. guys all clad in their leather gear standing around, you know, looking like the most masculine figure that they can be. Another thing that we know actually contributes to this concept of toxic masculinity. But I mean, some of those people I know, you know, like I've seen them in pink shorts and trainers and midriff t-shirts. Oh, they're the sweetest guys. Waving yeah, their yeah, hands in yeah. the air. Yeah, and I know. But, and you know, it's like, it's the loveliest person, you know, the campus person, you know, but there is something within our fetish network that when it comes, especially to the gear and this kind of dynamic, it transports many people into this other place, into this other persona. And for some reason, we seem to celebrate this masculinity which at the same time we think right. is so toxic and destructive to the scene yeah. uh, which is which is an, a crazy mm-hmm. juxtaposition but uh, we celebrate it, it and at the same time we want to actually break it down and do away with it and if we do it right. makes me think like what what is left you know so and it's as you say it's it makes me think this is goes back to another form of that kind of like keeping up appearances. You know, the sir, the dom, the master has mm-hmm. got to have the appearance to be this mm-hmm. strong and powerful to person. Strong to hold everyone. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise he loses his prominence. But at the same time, sirs, mm-hmm. masters and doms, you heard it here today. Bear your souls and the subs will come running to look after you. And I think you're absolutely right. They will, you know, master isn't feeling well today. And so, you know, I'm going to go around mm-hmm. and look after him. I have a chat. We'll watch a movie. I'll take him on a walk or I'll do yeah. something. So I think within our own community, we have this underlying sense or this underlying network of people who are absolutely there to support you, to help lift you, to help pick you up, to listen to you. But I think that goes back to the most important thing is someone needs to listen. And we often won't know that someone is struggling unless we actually take the time to watch and to listen. Yeah. And to reach out to people that we haven't seen for a while or check in with someone who may have mentioned that they were having a tough time and that you don't you don't know because that's that kind of that kind of thing is very it warms people it makes them feel wanted and connected just to, to receive a message out of the blue i've been thinking about you how are you doing yeah yeah one of the things you talked about i want to touch on very briefly in some notes also you talked about minority stress mm. and you know okay 
Talk to me about minority stress. Well, minority stress is a theory that that uh, um, psychologists, a psychologist in the a psychiatrist in the states came up with, um, looking at big population studies as to why do uh, lesbians and gay men in particular or LGB people? It's been extended. It's been reproduced in, into pretty much all all orientations and and um, stigmatized minorities. Why do we have higher figures of depression, of anxiety, of suicide and self-harm, and significantly higher figures than um, non-queer people? I'm going to put us all under the banner of queer. I know some people don't like the word queer. I got taken to task the other day on LinkedIn for using it, but it's a good catch-all. And uh, why? And it's because we are we are minority because of our minority status, we are in receipt of violence and aggression and discrimination externally. Whether we hear it's stuff that we hear about being done to others, and you you know you open or you you look online and you read the most terrible stories about what's being done to to various sectors of our community, particularly the trans community particularly black people it's like it happens so much that we there's so there's this distal minority stress that we hear all this shit and we think that applies to me too but then if we start to if we start to come out we may well um experience it closer to hand with neighbors looking down their noses at us if we've got a partner and we want to hold their hand walking down the street so we become more visibly queer or we're out in our leathers and people are looking down their nose or sneering or calling these kind of microaggressions. And that eats away at our mental health. And so we and, and Kingsters are absolutely a stigmatized minority. And there's research that's showing that Kingsters, for some people, kink is, is a sexual orientation it's, it may be in, it, it, regardless of what who's a, who we're attracted to, whether it's men or women, it might be just that actually it's the kink that we're attracted to. to. And yeah. It doesn't matter who ties me up or who beats my ass or whatever. It's the kink. And that this is long, this is enduring, that came on in childhood or adolescence, and it persists. And if we don't get to, to enact it, our mental health suffers. And so it really fits the criteria of a sexual orientation. And that's one of the reasons why I think we need to have it as a protected characteristic um, because it's important. Kingsters are are exposed to minority stress at a high level and as a stigmatized minority, and we're socially isolated because of it. And this is where community is really important and the work that you and your guys at Recon are doing at building a sense of community through things like Fetish Week and and these podcasts is bringing people together and allowing them to feel like they matter and that they have a voice and that they're and that people are care about them um, and that it's not just about how much leather we can sell you or whether we can you know make you buy this big dildo. It's actually about taking care of each other as brothers and i think that's really important as a mm-hmm. as a community i think i mean there are definitely things we can get better at but i wonder if you can maybe 
and I mean, this, this will probably be a hard one because I know it'll be different for different people, but what are maybe some of the most basic or maybe not basic, but the most common signs we can look for, you know, if we want to identify, you know, somebody who may be suffering from mental health issues. You know, there's um, another program which is uh, going now where they're trying to, uh, they're really working to get mental health officers in the workplace, in a lot of offices mm -hmm. and, um, you know, corporations, I think globally. Um, and I think that would mm -hmm. always be interesting, especially in the workplace, you know, looking at colleagues, you know, and not thinking, well, just because someone is having a bad day, that they're having a complete mental health breakdown and that they may require some intervention. But what are some of the maybe basic things we can look for to recognize if someone may be having some mental health issues? I'm not going to address the workplace stuff because I think that complicates things. And often we're much more private about our identities in the workplace. I mean, we might be out as gay, but we're perhaps not going to be out as kinksters and the yes. like. So Let's let's look at it in a social context. And I think there it's about have we heard who have we heard from recently or who haven't we heard from? How often are we in touch with people who are part of our our leather family or our circle? And it doesn't have to be other kinksters because we've got we're gonna have some non-kinky friends and we're gonna have some women who are important to us in our lives. But like are, are we following through? Are we are we checking in if we haven't seen or heard from someone for a, a month or so? Um, I was I was called at lunchtime from someone I haven't seen for a couple of years that I like to comment on Facebook, and then suddenly he rang me, and it was like, oh wow, that was really really lovely to hear him. And so following up with these kinds of things. And if you've been with someone and you've been out or somebody somebody cries off going out on a social thing um, and they're doing that more than once, maybe just contact them in the daytime and and just say, we missed you. And how's it, how are you going? And like, you're interesting to us, whether you want to come out onto the scene or not, you know, you're important. We can go for a coffee. We can have some non-scene related contact. It, you know, and just just have a chat. Just reach out and and be be a buddy, be a mate to each other. And sometimes it's about doing an activity. It doesn't have to be going for a serious talk. It could just be, you know, do you want to go for a walk or get a, go for a cycle ride or do something? Let's just hang out. I know yeah. there are there are many of us who are. I would say fortunate enough to have developed um, a very close or intimate circle of leather or, you know, kinkster friends. They have their own little kinkster family or they belong mm -hmm. to some kind of fetish network or group. And I think I'm fortunate to also be a part of one. And we really make a mm -hmm. point of creating these moments where we have touch points. We have check-ins right. because we know that there are mm -hmm. any number of reasons that can trigger, you know, uh, depression or mental issues for anyone, but it's also just making sure, you know, like, Hey, we're, we're friends and it's good to check in on each other from time to time. I had another yeah. instance just a few weeks ago where another friend kind of 
disappeared as far as we knew. And we were all like, what the hell happened? Nobody knew. No one heard. And I thought, right, I live the closest. So if we don't hear in the next three or four hours, I'm going to go to the house and bang on the door. And but meanwhile, like try to get in touch with someone from social media. Da, 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 da. There are there are ways that we can very easily check yeah. in with our friends, with our people. You know, even if yeah. you may not have yeah. direct contact, social media, as much as we struggle with it, also gives us another way of creating these touch points or these check-ins with people, or at least someone who knows them that you think they may be more in touch with maybe even than you. And it was really good. I think, thankfully for us, you know, the person was very susceptible to mental health problems, but thankfully for us, they had a change of phone number and was completely a technophobe and couldn't get the phone sorted out. And it took them like three days. And meanwhile, in that three days, we were in panic that, oh my God, something is going, we haven't heard from them because. That is such a lo- lovely story to hear, Antoine. I mean, I know that you were all distressed, but that is a beautiful story to know that you were concerned in this way. I think it's one of those things that makes me think in the very simplest ways. Also, when you talk to someone quite regularly and then suddenly you don't hear from them, it may be time mm. to check in and just say, hey, sure. I haven't heard from you for a few days or a week or so, you know, how are you doing? So I think there you make definitely a very good point. Yeah, and I I, I was looking on, on the app the other day. I've been offline for a good six months and I've just been starting to put my head back into the app. And I was, you know, you're messaging people and people messaging you. And I, I often look at who do they know who are their acquaintances yeah. or friends? <laughs> Definitely. And, and I'm, I always feel sad when you're being messaged by someone and they don't have anybody there. Yeah. And I think, oh, you know, you're missing out on support and friendship. It's not always about who you've played with. It's just about who, who you've met and who you hang out with and who your mates are. And, and I really like that there's a, that aspect on the profile that you can do that. And I, um, yeah, and it's a call out and encouragement to people to add people as friends and talk to, you know, can I put you on my friends list? Well, I think it's an amazing point. One of the things we talked about a few years ago was that we wanted the platform to be a place where people can make meaningful connections. And as you say, not yeah. everyone who is in your friends list needs to be solely someone that you have played with in some way, shape or form. But sometimes mm-hmm. these people are just friends, mm-hmm. even if it's an online They're chat just, yeah. buddy, you know, and it's good to have these, you know, other people who will check in on you and that you can also check on. And this actually mm-hmm. was, will be something that helps to build this strength of community that we want to have this fetish community. So, you know, I mean, we say it so many times, Mm. be the community you want to see. So figure out how to make these more meaningful connections with people. Not that sex isn't meaningful. It's extremely meaningful. And sometimes the best friendships come out of some kind of sexual interaction with someone. Um, But sometimes there Mm. is so much more to be gained from just making a new friendly connection. I mean, and, and most of the people on mine are people I just have met socially on the scene of, as fellow kinksters. So they, we know, you know, they can vouch for you as being a real person and yeah. not a crazy person. And and so just add people, just add people that you've meet when you're out and about. Build a build a friendship network because we are an isolated community. And 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 come along to events and just 
you know, get talking to people at stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you got any, as we're going to start to like wind down a bit and I want to know, have you got words or what words of advice would you have for our listeners, not just our home-based listeners in the UK, but I think even globally, when we think about uh, recognizing mental health, our own or somebody else's, what are maybe the initial steps someone who is suffering from mental health issues might take to begin seeking some kind of help? Um, well, it would be remiss of me not to mention that Pink Therapy has a directory of, we call it the directory of Pink Therapists, but they're therapists of all genders and sexualities. But you can search for people who have knowledge of kink and BDSM as part of your searching for a, for a therapist. That I mean, this is only going to get you people who are in private practice, but there will be trained trained therapists um working there um and online so if there's nobody in your community or nearby you can find therapists online um and 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 organizations like switchboard and london friend and all of these are valuable sources of free therapy for the community um and so there's a professional end of things but i think there's also the, the kind of reading stories and reading connecting to organizations like the Trevor Project or It Gets Better that kind of can, can be inspirational around their, you know, this, listening to other people's accounts, uh, reading some of the research, realizing that we're, we're not alone in struggling with these things. I think sometimes that can be comforting. Um, sometimes it can make me feel like, oh, great, I'm another number. Um, you know, this is, is this sick society I'm part of ever going to get any better? And, you know, we can wonder about that, but getting involved in fighting for, for um, our rights and into campaigns, turning our anger into activism and um, as another way of meeting people and as a way of trying to change the environment. And then at a more interpersonal, intrapersonal level, journaling about our feelings doing some mindfulness meditations, developing compassion for ourselves. You know, there's a whole range of new uh, um, CBT type therapists and, and not the CBT that most of our listeners are familiar with, but cognitive <laughs> behavior therapy yes. approaches. So things like compassion focused therapy um, is very good. And um, mindfulness based therapies that just allow us to, um, to to be with the feelings uh, and to tolerate the feelings and to find ways of tolerating distress and and shifting distress in our bodies and then working out and going for runs and and doing all the physical activities that we know are really beneficial for mental health and some people's therapy is their gym or their bike and that's their way in which they maintain really good mental health and keeping the endorphins going and, and serotonin and all of that. So that's all good too. Thank you so much for that, Dominic. Um, I would like to say also for our listeners, and Dominic, if you're okay with it, I think at the end of when we post the podcast, we'll put the link uh, to Pink 
therapy there so people can find you and they can uh, mm. look for it, especially yeah. as a resource. And uh, I think we're also very happy, listeners, if you're there and if you know of any other incredible resources we can share with people who may be looking, please send it and we'll uh, you know, think about what we'll look and see how many links we can add to the end of the podcast. But, you know, if you're in New York City, San Francisco, Brazil, Madrid, somewhere else that's outside of the UK and, um, you know, have a really good link where we can, um, you know, that we can add to this list, I think that would be really great. Those of you who are listening and also potentially coming to Fetish Week London, Dominic will be with us again at the Fetish Week Masterclass. We're going to revisit this topic, also mm-hmm. sitting around in an open discussion. So this will also, hopefully this will be a way to for us to encourage, you know, uh, open dialogue, not just between the two of us, but actually within a, a larger group of people. And hopefully we can, uh, you know, Dominic can help uh, guide and answer some questions for uh, some people who may be listening. Um, there's a whole range of other topics and we've got something listed online. So you can go into the event listing and find out everything we're going to be talking about at the masterclass. But Dominic, I want to say once again, a huge, huge, huge thank you um, for joining us on the podcast. You know, and as I said, this was a topic that was so timely. And, you know, there's so much going on in our lives. And, you know, someone said to me once before, and I, I think we people may have seen something similar flying around social media some years ago. You know, it was like, be careful how you speak to people or what you say to people, because you have no idea what's going on in their lives. And sometimes it's much, it's much better and it's easier to be kinder to people than to be aggressive or unnecessarily rude or mean, because you don't know what is happening in their lives. And that thing that you say to them could trigger something and you have no idea what that effect would be. So, you know, this goes once again to that Mm -hmm. thing, you know, be the community we want to see. We want to see this friendly and open and communicative kink and fetish community. And we need to actually put these things into practice. I will say it as many times as I have to on as many podcasts as I have to, you know, be the community that you want to see. Our brothers and our sisters are are struggling. Sometimes it only takes, you know, like, hey, I haven't heard from you for three or four days, you know, just checking in on you. Are you okay? Sometimes it's the really simple things we can do that may help to encourage or reassure them. Like, you know, someone's actually thinking of me today. Someone's got my well-being at their heart. And this makes me think, okay, I'm relevant to someone. You know, my issue, someone is, Mm -hmm. someone hears me. Someone wants to listen to me. You have no idea, people, how powerful that little check-in can be. And I encourage you to do that and to keep making those meaningful connections. Thank you for listening. And we will see you on the next Recon podcast sometime soon. Bye for now. 